John chapter 16. Um, I am <clears throat> I'm sort of uh, a little interested. I've got my curiosity glasses on. A, um, a book came up. Uh, somebody on Instagram was promoting a book on the UFO subject. And I won't tell you the name of the book because I don't want anybody that listens to me to buy it. I really don't. Um, but I will tell you that the, uh, the title of the book, the cover of the book, really got my attention. And I was reading some things online about it. And it sounded like that the contents of this particular book falls very much in line with things that I've been warning people about. There is a massive spiritual assault on this world. And guess what? The Asbury Revival is part of that. It is, it is a huge... In fact, the Bible says it will be the biggest deception ever. God will... He, will, he has already chosen the people that are going to believe the lie. He's going to turn them over to it. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. There's a reason why God tells us in, in John 14, 15, and 16 to that of the nature of the comforter and what the Holy Ghost does for us and in us. It is to keep us humble, keep us on our knees, keep us praying, keep us convicted if we do things that are wrong. Keep us humble when we do things that are right and not sound our own trumpet. And um, I can tell you that everything from fake and phony Christian revivals to things that go on in politics and things that go on in the financial world, things that go on in the spiritual realm as far as churches and religious religions are concerned, and things that go on in the sky are all a part of this. It is, it is all-encompassing. And uh, no one, that's why Jesus said, no one will be able to, you're not going to escape this. Okay, when this happens, don't tell me, I don't care how deep your bunker is. Okay, and there's people buying bunkers and they put them things 40, 50 feet underground. And, and they'll have a two year supply of water and food and generator and everything like that and think they're going to sit and ride everything out. It's not, I don't, that, no, mm -mm, not according to scripture. So, um, I got the book Monday, and I read the introduction, and I had to put it down. Just reading the introduction. The introduction was written by a man who's very high up in the CIA. And there were things mentioned in the introduction, things that I am very well familiar with, as far as scripture is concerned, as far as... Um, new age ideas and false religions and mystery cults and everything else. Just in reading that part of it, I, I did. I put it down Monday night and I, I prayed and I had another pastor pray for me. I said, before I g dig into that, I'm going to make sure I'm grounded, anchored, settled and everything else. Because deceptions like this can, can affect anybody and everybody. Now, God, God won't let you ultimately fall into it. But I don't even want... I'm like, 
the guy, I don't even want to get near the edge to see what's down there, okay? So it, it has me interested, I'll say that. But um, just always pray for your pastor. As I study the, the word, and then as I study things that are going on in the world, it has an effect. It really does. And uh, so keep me in your prayers if you would. John 16, we'll start in verse 9. Um, we did this last Wednesday night, I know, because I went back and watched it. I figured, if I can't even remember what I preached last Wednesday, I don't expect you to either. <clears throat> but anyway, if, if you got a blessing out of it and God put the word in you, then all is good. John 16, 9 the, the comforter comes and reproves the world of sin. This is where Jesus picks it up. Because they believe not on me of righteousness. Because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment. Because the prince of this world is judged. And I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So, and here's something that's very important now about what I just read. Verse 12. Let me read that again. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, a lesser man, a false prophet, a false teacher, will use that verse to say Jesus is still has things to say to his church, but he hasn't said them yet. Don't believe that don't believe it he says i have yet many things to say unto you but you cannot bear them now i can imagine joseph smith reading that and saying this is why jesus came to me and gave me the book of Mor mormon moron mormo um, the angel moron eye showed me where the book was and I translated it. And this is another testament of Jesus Christ. These are the things that Jesus had yet to say that he didn't say then. He could use that. A lot of these latter-day prophets that are everywhere, they are saying that Jesus is still giving his prophets things that he has yet to say. I told you about the guy who said he went to heaven and saw Jesus, the Jesus library of all the things that Jesus said and did that are not recorded in books, but they, they have them recorded in books. And this pastor saw John chapter 22, which doesn't exist. But it, apparently, according to him, it was a book in heaven. It was an addition to, to the gospel of John, which only has 21 chapters. And Jesus wasn't going to let him come to the earth to read that book to us now. But someday in the future, he's going to let this man go back up to heaven, retrieve John chapter 22, and come down from heaven with another gospel in his hand. That's exactly what, what I saw in that. And so, at the end of the book of Revelation... The last chapter, the last thing that was said, if any man shall add unto these words, I will add unto him the plague. If any man shall take away from these words, I will take his name out of the book of life. Period. The end. So when John wrote Revelation and he put the last dot after the word amen, well, he didn't actually use a period there because they didn't have them. But when he wrote that word amen, that was it. That was so be it. Okay, it's, it's accomplished, it's done, it's going to happen. Um, but what, he, what happened is, after Jesus died, rose again, 
He has been giving those things to his apostles. James wrote some of them down. John wrote some of them down. Peter, Paul, not Mary, wrote some of them down. That's a folk song joke. Peter, Paul, and Mary. By the way, they don't make candy bars. Okay. Um, so he gave all of those things to them and they are written down now. And when Jesus said, I've yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. I believe that whatever purpose they were written for, the Holy Ghost will direct the understanding and those words to the people that it was intended for. Because he, he says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's another good phrase to study. Did I have you do that one? No, Spirit of truth. Underline that and do a study of all truth. That phrase in the Bible, all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does not... Uh, he does not emphasize himself. He does not draw attention to himself. He does not tell everybody that he's, he's the guy now or whatever. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will shew you things to come, things that will happen in the future. He's going to show them to you. Well, now, now this, let me think about this. For I was going to say before they happen. But I don't know that that necessarily says that. He will show you things to come. Maybe it does. Maybe he will show them to us as they're happening so we have understanding. This is that which, like, like Peter did, this is that which was spoken on the day of Pentecost and so on. So that's interesting. Something, something for you to meditate on and think about. Let's pray Father, we ask your blessings tonight on your word. I thank you, Lord, for these that have come. I pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, we would just set this time aside and just put everything else away. And uh, father, mother, children, grandparents, Lord, as we sit down with your word and we listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us, uh, Father, Lord, give me the words to say uh, let not what I say ever contradict anything in your word. Father, I know that I'm not capable of saying everything right. So thank you, God, for giving us a Bible that does. And we know it does. We pray your blessings on it. Lord, there are days that are coming that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to turn up. We don't know how things are going to be. And some of the possibilities, Lord, are scary. And they're not getting less scary as time goes on. So, Father, as we explore your word, not just tonight, but from here on, Father, always give us light, give us illumination, show us things to come, speak those words to us, let them be in our heart. Father, thank you, God, for helping us to trust this word, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Um, there was uh, speculation at one time, and, and it may still be, I don't know. I've read so many things uh, that relate to uh, esoteric things that our government has been involved with. When I say esoteric, 
I mean, secretive in a religious manner. There are military secrets, there are national security secrets, but it may surprise you to know that elements of our government, like the CIA and others, uh, certain parts of the uh, Pentagon, the Defense Department, has also devoted time and money to secret spiritual things as well. And let me just ask you this. How many of you knew that the government, and doesn't really matter which part of the government, but that the government actually spent money and ran a program using extrasensory perception to spy on Russia? Anybody know that? It's true. Okay? It's true. Uh, one of the names, that, one of the men that, that, that their, prime, their prime best guy was a guy back in the 70s named Ingo Swan. And he was, they said, about as good as anybody they've ever seen. At that time, they were using Yuri Geller, who was, uh, who was sort of uh, like a, a pretend, he was a TV psychic, okay? He was a showman psychic. And showman psychics, I don't trust them. They're, they're a bunch of, they can, this guy, this is the guy who went around, I don't know if you remember, he went around making spoons bend by just rubbing his fingers on him. He was on the Tonight Show. And uh, Johnny Carson used to do little magic tricks. And he was going to have Yuri Geller on the Tonight Show. And he called another magician, a man by the name of James Randi, who uh, is still alive. And, he's, and he spoofs or he, uh, he shows that different psychics are frauds. He's the one that's shown that Peter Popoff, a televangelist, was a fraud because he was listening to his wife read prayer cards in his ear. And that was all done on the Tonight Show. So he called James Randi and he said, I'm going to have Yuri Geller on and I think the guy's a fake. And he said, so what should I, how should I do this if I have him on the show? And he said, well, Geller likes to bring all of his own equipment out, his own spoons, his own things. He said, um, when he comes out, set down in front of him a, a thing that your guys have prepared of spoons and different objects that he manipulates and, and just tell him then that that's what he's going to use. And, you know, of course, Geller comes out, everybody's applauding. Geller does this talk with Johnny Carson, and they're cracking up and doing jokes. And now it comes time for him to ask Yuri Geller to do his thing. We're going to start bending spoons with our mind. We're just going to rub them, then they're going to bend. And so instead of Geller being able to reach in his pocket for his spoon, they have all these pre-prepared Things that he normally would never put himself in front of national television to do. And all of a sudden now, Yuri Geller, the spirit has flown and he can't, he can't do any of his magic there on the TV show. That's a joke. But we hired this guy. The United States government hired him to come over from Israel and participate in our ESP program where they were trying to spy on what Russia was saying, what Russia was doing, and if you can't get a spy in the room, then you do what's called remote viewing, and you can see in the room, you can hear what's being said, you can read readouts on a, on a computer monitor, you can read codes on a warhead or whatever, and that's what they were doing. Are they still doing it now? I don't know, but they were doing it back then, okay? This has been written about in several 
periodicals and so on. You can look this up. I forgot what the project's name. I want to say looking glass, but that doesn't sound right. Um, but anyway, that's, that's what they were doing. Our government wanting to know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, the Russian government, same way. Okay, Russia is a land full of witchcraft. A lot of people in Russia, when they go to a doctor, it's generally a, let's see, a naturopath uses nature remedies, right? A naturopath, a um, osteopath is a doctor that works on the whole body. So what kind of doctor would be someone who works with psychic things? A psychopath? Yeah, I was waiting for that one. But I'm not kidding you. A lot of the quote-unquote doctors that Russian people will go to are psychic doctors. They do psychic medicine. Uh, I don't have time to explain all that, but that's, that's what those people believe in. They've been doing this for years. Even during the even Soviet days, they were doing this. Okay, So it's a nation, literally, that does not have a lot of Christ in it, like America. But we are, we are surrounded in this country with, with psychics, with, and people are falling for this. Uh, even, even church people are falling for this. You have all the Latter-day prophets now that are all over YouTube, and they're really gaining ground now because of this Asbury revival. This has brought a lot of things to the surface. And what I have seen over the years and what I'm seeing now is an increase in people's desire to know the future. They want to know what's going to happen. Uh, if, I, if I told you that I, I have read... Uh, in more than one source, that there was supposedly alien technology that had allowed some people to see various future timelines. They believed in this idea that even though they might be able to see a future coming about, that future doesn't necessarily have to take place if we just turn left when we should have turned right, and that will change the course of everything. When you look in the book of Daniel, you find that the Antichrist, one of the powers that he will want, is the Bible says he will seek to change times and laws. And believe it or not, in the Large Hadron Collider out in Europe, one of the experiments that they did, and according to them, they say they were successful in it, in that they were, they were able to send a quantum particle. Was it into the future or into the past? I don't remember. If somebody knows and you know my phone number, text me. But they were able to actually send a quantum particle outside of our current Time, I think, into a future time. Now, it, we're talking like, like a millionth of a second into the future. But right now, I'm not able to move a millionth of a second into the future. They were able to do it. And so, here's the thing about that verse in Daniel. He shall seek to change times and laws. 
And then it says, and it shall be given into his hand. I know all that sounds wacky, but that's the word of God. Will the Antichrist seek to change things that have already happened in the past? Well, what if they figure out that Christ dying on the cross wasn't such a good idea? Okay, now we know God's not going to let them do it. But those are the things that people in this world now are starting to take seriously. It was all science fiction 100 years ago. It was witchcraft 200 years ago. It's science now. And people are putting and staking their life on these things. The reason why I'm saying all this is, is that you have in your hand the absolute best looking glass into the past, the present, and the future in your Bible. Somebody say amen. He will show you things to come. And all you need to do is read the Bible. Somebody called me last night and uh, they said that they had, uh, they'd just been reading Deuteronomy 28 and they see it as, as a prophecy. God, if you read Deuteronomy 28, you get it. If you've never read it, you don't understand what I'm saying to you. If you've ever read Deuteronomy 28, you'll understand that if you take what God said in there and apply it to this country, we're going to be in bad shape one of these days. And it could be very soon. It could be how soon is soon to God when you live eternally, okay? When a day with the Lord is a thousand years, okay? So I don't know when things are going to happen. I don't know how soon we are there, but every day that goes by, we're one day closer. We're not getting farther away from it. So when you look at the Bible and see the things that God said are coming, I don't want it to scare you, but I do want it to sober you up a little bit so that you go, man, if that's what's going to happen, I better make sure my life is right with God. That's the whole point about showing you things to come. In fact, when you first got saved, you got saved because someone told you what was going to happen to you in the future. Now think about it. They say you can't change the outcomes. Well, you were headed to hell. Amen? God sent somebody your way or the word came to you and you believed it, you trusted what was being told to you was going to happen in the future. When in the future? I don't know. I'm just telling you it's in the future. It sounds like a movie. But you believed what was going to happen to you in the future, and you said, if there's any way out of this, I would like to do, I would like to go that way. And that way was Jesus Christ. Amen! I must be in a better mood than you. So, Verse 14, can we know the future? John said in verse 14, he shall glorify me. For he, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, shall receive of mine, Jesus, and shall show it unto you. Now, then he said, there's my favorite phrase again, all things. I love that phrase, all things. How many is that? All of them. All things that the Father hath. So here's why I'm saying this. Let's go back to Matthew 24. I looked right at it. Matthew 24, 36. 
But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, but here's the question. Is it going to be always restricted to God's knowledge only? No, apparently not. Because Jesus just says here in verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. And he says it present tense. Now, we know that in Revelation uh, 5, we have the book sealed with seven seals. And the only one who's worthy to take the book and loosen the seals and open it thereof is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And he does in Revelation 6. He takes the book, begins to open the seals. And then we see by the time Revelation 10 comes around, he has the little book open in his hand. So he is the only one worthy to do that. He's the only one able to do that. So this is why I believe he said, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. We don't know where heaven is. We don't know how far away it is. And even if we had its exact location with exactly how far it was, we would never live long enough to get there on our own. We don't have anything that would get us there. No, no ship, no teleportation device, no Yugo, nothing like that. We don't have those things to get us there. So the only way that we can get there is to be in Jesus Christ. Because he is the way. Amen? He is the way. Uh, so, verse 16. Now he says, a little while... And ye shall not see me. You know what he did? He just told them the future. He just told them a fact of the future that he knows is going to happen. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while and ye shall see me. He just told them what was going to happen after that. So he said, number one, first, I'm going to disappear. And you're not going to see me. And a little while after that, you will see me. All eyes are going to see him on that day. Every eye is going to see him. You shall see me because I go to the Father. And that's where he is right now. We have his spirit in us crying, Abba, Father. We have his spirit in us, guiding us, indwelling in us, leading us, um, Drawing us to the things of God, giving us understanding of things that we read in the Bible in so much as it is our time to understand certain things. I mean, I believe everything's written here. I don't understand everything that is written here and how it will apply in the future because I can't see it all. But one of these days, as things go by, I remember, I remember the day that, uh, well, we all remember if you were alive and, uh, on 9-11, September 11, 2001. And I remember, uh, I, I actually, the first thing that popped in my mind was something that God said in Deuteronomy 28. And I saw these buildings go down, those terrible, terrible things that happened on that day. And what popped in my mind was the curse in Deuteronomy 28. It started with, cursed shalt thou be in the city. And that was on a Tuesday. And the next night, Wednesday night, 
I preached on that. I preached that passage, cursed shalt thou be in the city. I said, our cities are cursed in this country. You show me a city that's nice to move to and everybody wants to be there and everybody, nobody's getting arrested and there are no shootings and crimes non-existent. No, we don't have that. God said later on, cursed shall be the fruit of thy womb. In other words, our children would be cursed. Boy, I tell you what, that's big right now. And so this Bible's right. It is telling us things that are coming. And when things happen, we know that this is that which the Lord spoke. We know that it's that. Um, Turn to Genesis 7. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a a story. Um, I got sent down. I was uh, working with uh, an outfit out of... um, Topeka, Kansas, back in 2002, 2003, 2004, and uh, they were called the Prophecy Club, and they sent me to um, Alabama, so I think it was Mobile, and um, so I'm down there going to do a talk down there, I can't remember, I think it was just on the, the Bible, the numbers in the Bible and things like that, and um, there was a guy down there that was, and like I said, this is just a few years after 9-11. He kind of reminded me of, he looked like Elvis. He had the Elvis hair, the Elvis sideburns. He's sort of an older guy. And before the meeting, you know, we've probably had 60, 70, 80 people in this hotel meeting room. And everybody was sort of in groups talking, you know, and looking at the books on the table and things like that. And this guy, it's like God said, watch this guy. He was going from group to group. He'd, get in, he'd go over there and sit and listen to somebody talk for a while. And after, if, there, if there was a pause in there, he'd jump in. He'd say, yeah, God showed me 9-11 before it ever happened. God showed that to me in a vision. I saw a vision just about a year before that happened. God showed me that whole thing that was going to take place. And he did that in every group he was in. And I caught on to what he was doing. This guy wanted people. To, he had a church in that area. This guy was there trying to make disciples. He wanted people to believe that God speaks specially to him. Now, that's a dangerous one. If you ever go to any church, any Bible study, any meeting, I'm talking to you guys, I'm talking to you guys. Or you're on some online group, or you're watching some video, and some guy, some guy gives out this idea, God spoke directly to me, and only to me. God showed me 9-11. My, I wanted to go up to the guy and say, then why weren't you there as those people were going in those towers to work that morning, at least telling them you're in danger? Why did you let 3,000 people die if you knew it was going to happen? I didn't. But anyway, people like that are all over the place, and they are trying to steal disciples unto themselves. That's what the Bible says that they're there for. They're false prophets. They're false teachers. They want you to believe that they have the ability to see things into the future. The truth of it is only God does that. Only God. But does he reveal it to man? Yes. Genesis 7 is one of those places. We know in verse 1, The Lord said unto Noah, Come down all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. 
And he tells him about the beast that he wants in there and so on. And then verse, verse 4, he says it. He's, I mean, he makes it in no uncertain terms. For yet seven days. Now, how much calculating does Noah have to do? How complicated is this, is this equation? It's not. Seven days. I got it. I got it. It's seven days from now. Okay? Does that mean seven days from today or seven days starting tomorrow? No, seven days. And I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. How, how mysterious is that? It's not. He told him exactly how long it was going to rain. He told him exactly when, what day it was. I mean, what hour it starts on that day doesn't really matter much, does it? I mean, are you going to take a chance on the seventh day and say, well, it's 12. He didn't say really what time. I guess we got until evening. Let's go play ball. Oh, I'm on the ark. Amen. I'm sitting there going. Okay. Every living substance that I've made will I destroy from up the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And it happened exactly the way God said it would. Seven days later, God shut the door of the ark because only God does that. Man doesn't do that. St. Peter doesn't do that. God does that. God shut the door of the ark. The fountains of the great deep opened up, the windows of heaven opened, and it did that for exactly 40 days, just like God said. He made it simple for them to understand. But he told Noah beforehand when it was going to come. Now, we don't see in here that God forbid Noah from telling anybody else. God believed that God's word is always open to anybody who wants to read it. Amen? It is, uh, that's why we print so many Bibles and publish so many Bibles and we want people to have Bibles in their hands. We say to them, read it uh, and, and ask God to give you understanding. Read John 3.16. Read uh, 1 John 1.9. Read some of these verses. Give them simple things to read and let them read it. And is there anything about what we believe as Christians that we can't tell people until they're members of the church? Nothing. Nothing. We don't belong to a mystery religion or a mystery cult. And we don't have people that after we get in and we've accepted this as our religion, we don't have people that will come out of some meditation room somewhere and say, God visited us and we have a new revelation to share with everybody. We don't have that. And I wouldn't tolerate it if we did. Say amen. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, take a stand on what we've got. And what's going on now with this Asbury revival, it's not over. It's not over. The powers that be, and I mean spiritual powers that be and things like that, they're going to use this thing and, and they're going to they're use this as a platform to get everybody to the next big thing that's coming. The back big spiritual thing that's coming and it's basically to get them in my opinion as far as this part is to accepting that God will move outside of what he said in his word okay so now Genesis 19 turn there same thing same thing the angels came to Lot's house and told Lot 
exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, for we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Lot just told what was going to happen in the future. Was he right? But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. That's the people that we live around now. You start telling, this is thus saith the Lord. This is what God said. God said he's going to do this. And people say, yeah, there he goes again. The family nut job. The family John the Baptist. Family holy roller. Whatever they call you. They don't, they're not going to believe it. They're not going to accept it. They would rather, and the reason why, why do you not accept God's free gift of love and grace and forgiveness? It's because you want to keep sinning. Bottom line, you just want to keep in the life that you're living and you don't want to give it up. Well, I'd go to church, but he's always telling me I got to give up my beer and liquor. I ain't giving up my beer and liquor. Well, if you go... You won't have to give it up. God just take it away from you. He'll just take it. Um, sure enough, verse 15, when the morning arose and the angels hastened Lot and saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon, upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Uh, turn... Right now, while we're here, I don't know if I have this in my notes, turn to Second uh, Peter, because that uh, is expressly mentioned. That story right there is mentioned in Second Peter as, yeah, Second Peter chapter 2, verse... Uh, six and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto, unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And he, and he says in verse 9, For the Lord, and boy, you can underline this one, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Meaning, are we going to face some troubling times? Uh, yeah. Is there a possibility that we might do without food? Yeah. Well, how would we get food? Well, God fed Israel. He gave them food every day. In fact, I'll give you one better. God gave Elijah meat from these ravens and he ate it, one meal, and it stuffed him for 40 days straight. Now that is one good plate of biscuits and gravy. Amen? Because I think that's what it should be, biscuits and gravy. Because I went to make biscuits and gravy last night for supper. We had the biscuits in the oven. I had my pound of bacon cooked. I had my bacon grease with the flour in it. Had my roux all made for my gravy. And I went to the refrigerator and got the open container of milk and poured it in there. And after a minute, it was all clabbered and stank. And oh, I ruined a whole pound of bacon grease, grease. Ah. <sighs> so tomorrow night, we're going to try it again. 
Amen. Biscuits and gravy will hold you, won't they? That's right. That's right. But that's all a prophecy. And God told Noah ahead of time. He told Lot ahead of time. This is what's going to happen. And it happened exactly. In fact, Genesis 19 is not where we first hear about it. We first hear about it in Genesis 18. Where God and those two angels stopped at Abraham's house. And said, Abraham, shall we tell Abraham what we're going to do? And what did God say? Well, of course. He needs to know. They didn't hide it from him. In fact, let's look at that. That's, that's interesting. That's just, I'm getting a revelation from God here. Genesis 18, turn there. Um, look at verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, oh, it was the Lord that said it, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now, anytime you see, the, see God asking that, he's not going, I don't, I don't know what to do. He is doing it to initiate his will and his plan. Okay? It's like Jesus uh, there and he's got the 5,000 that need to be fed and he asks Philip, Philip, how shall we feed? He's bringing the subject up is what he's doing. Jesus already knows how he's going to do it. Philip, how shall we feed these people? Philip said, Lord, 200 penny worth is not sufficient to feed this. And so then somebody, they've already set that 200 penny worth, however much that was, was nowhere near enough. So when the boy shows up with Five loaves and two fishes, which I'm sure is a whole lot less than 200 penny worth. Jesus said, well, how about if I do it with just this then? And it worked, didn't it? And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and of Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if, I, and if not, I will know. And right there, God illustrated to all of us that what he was going to do, he's going to tell his people what he's going to do and not hide it from us. He's going to tell us. Jeremiah 25. Oh, I like this. Now, when God removed the ten northern tribes, okay, uh, you understand that after Solomon died, the nation of Israel was twelve tribes, and after Solomon died, God did... Because of David's sin with Bathsheba, um, God was going to divide the nation. And so the ten northern tribes were their own nation called Israel. And Judah and Benjamin to the south were just referred to as Judah. So you had Israel and Judah. Ten nations and, and, and two nations. And um, so anyway, when he took the ten nations... And the, the king of Assyria went and got the ten northern tribes. Samaria was their capital. 
God never really said a time when they were going to return. He never really established that. They're just going to bring, take them out. But with Judah and Benjamin, with Judah, he says it's only going to be for this time. Jeremiah 25, 11, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now again, how's the math on that work? Is it pretty simple? Okay. Uh, I'm not 70 years old yet, but I, I did a little figuring, and the way I got it figured, I'm about 14 years away from there. Okay. I used a calculator, but I think I got it right. 70 years, we can count that. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations and I will bring upon that land all my words which I pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all nations. By the way, God said, not only am I going to do it 70 years, but I've already wrote down in the book what I'm going to do. It's already written. We don't need these last day prophets who are trying to make you convinced that they're more accurate or is as accurate as the Bible, that the Bible you won't understand, but listen to me, I'll tell you things that are going to happen. Now, we're sending everybody out an envelope. You fill that out and put in your best offering now for us so we can continue this vital ministry. That's baloney. It makes, it makes me angry to see these guys do that, to see them sell people for money. That's what they're doing. They're selling men's souls for cash. Now, so Jeremiah writes it down, and it's in a book, and his copies have been made, and it's been published. Somebody's going to need that one of these days. They're going to need to know from the written word of God, how long are we going to be in Babylon? Well, lo and behold, Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, I talked to a lady one time. I never really thought about it, but I think she might be right. She seemed to think that Daniel got to go back. Remember, Daniel was young when he was taken out of Jerusalem. And whatever, however old he was, let's say he was, let's say he was 20. Let's say he was 15. He's taken out as a young man and carried off into bondage. He's put in the king's house. And you know the story of Daniel. It goes through all of that. He becomes a, a great man with Nebuchadnezzar. He ends up uh, becoming Belshazzar's worst nightmare. I'm sorry, Belshazzar, but clock's ticking on you, bud. In fact, you won't make it till the morning. And, um, but... They, I can't remember how they told me they were reading the list of people that came back. It's in the book of Ezra. And they were reading the list of people and they had associated one of the names with him. I don't, I don't know that for sure. But I think it would be neat that Daniel, 
He's praying to God. He's faithful to God. And in this particular point, he starts looking in the books. God, how long are we going to be here? And God leads him to that exact place, Jeremiah 25. And he says, 70 years. Praise the Lord! Okay? Because now he knows exactly what year we're leaving. Did God prohibit him from telling anybody else? No, I don't think so. Daniel read it in the book. Why couldn't anybody else read it in the book? I'm sure Daniel went around going, look what I found. Look what I found. 70 years. How long have we been here? 68. What does that tell you? Two years. Uh, the, the dreams that Pharaoh had. Seven years of good. Seven years of bad. So what did they do? Seven years of good. They turned everything over to Joseph. Joseph, now, that we wouldn't like this kind of government here in America. But Joseph took every grain of wheat and barley and corn and rice and everything else. He took everybody that everybody grew on everybody's farm. He took it. The farmers may not have liked it, but... Joseph probably told him, this is the order of Pharaoh. What do you want? Your head cut off? You want, you want us to cut your children's heads off while, we're, while you watch and then we cut your heads off? Because we're taking it anyway. Because I'm telling you, two years, two years from now, you're going to be glad that I did because you're going to be coming back here looking for it. And we'll have it. And that's exactly what happened. It happened exactly the way God told Joseph it was going to happen. Joseph interpreted the dream and it happened that way to the day. To the day. So Daniel says that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, uh, turn to Daniel 9. Because I'm, I'm not going to let this one go by until I make a big snort out of it. I, um, I've rattled a few cages with this one. Because... As I've said at other times, so, I mean, like everybody who thinks they know something about the Lord's coming says, well, I hope he comes for the seven-year tribulation. And I, I'm going to say maybe it was God that led me this way. I don't know. But I just remember thinking one time, Mike, did you ever read of a seven-year tribulation in the Bible? And of course, I mean, I had a tool there in front of me. I had this Bible search program and I went searching and I didn't find it. I did not find it. And I looked and I looked and I didn't find it. And then I went back to the source, which is Daniel chapter 9. And then I sort of doing, did some research to find out how this came about. How did somebody, and I'll just say it, how did somebody change the Bible and get everybody to go along with it? Because in Daniel, he, now in Daniel 9, this is where we're being, this is where we are. He says exactly 70 years and lo and behold, it was 70 years. So now he's going to get a prophecy of the future. And in that prophecy, um, where is it? Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, um, Chris, let's say that um, you bought a car from a guy, okay, private sale, 
And the guy said, I tell you what, I'll let you. He said, I'll let you pay it out over time. Okay, and you said, okay, what do you want? He said, well, I'll tell you what, can you pay me, can you pay me $50 every week? Yeah, I can do that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just take how, how much the car is, divide it up, and so you pay me $50 every week. That'll work out to be 70 weeks. And so at the end of 70 weeks, you've paid off the, the bill. I'm not going to charge you any interest. You've paid off the bill. I'll sign the title over to you. You've got your car. I've got my money, and we're happy. 70 weeks from now, this is going to be over with. Writes it down. Types it as his wife. Type it up on the computer. Print it out. You both sign it. She works for an insurance company, so she's a notary. She notarizes it. It's perfectly legal. So when would you expect your car, Chris, the title? Seventy weeks later. The guy's going to sign the title and give it to you. Okay? You wouldn't think that he meant 490 years, would you? How long's a week? Seven days. And you go by his house... Every seven days, and put fifty dollars there in his little mailbox or his little under his you know rock on his front door or whatever. You pay the bill faithfully, and after seventy weeks, it's paid. And what I'm saying here is, we have a prophecy given to us in the Bible of seventy weeks, and there isn't anybody in the world that believes it's just seventy weeks. And I can't find one biblical source to tell me anything else other than that. Not one. And I haven't had any, I've challenged people. Come on, send me, send me a something, send me something that tells me. I've had people get on the phone and one lady called and she thought she was going to debate me. And, and I don't like debate, I don't. And at one point she's throwing stuff at me and I'm saying, no, that's not what it says. No, the Bible doesn't say that. And one, she says, well, we're having fun, aren't we? I said, ma'am, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I said, I'd just soon not, Talk about this this way because I clearly am not budging from what I believe until someone shows me the scripture that says that it's exactly this way. And said, so you haven't done that so far. So all I'm doing is getting a little irritated. I told her that. And uh, finally she got, but I've not had anybody, anybody change my mind on this. And I can't get around it. Simply because that's what everybody says it's going to be. And the, the deal is, I won't keep you too long with this, but the deal is that supposedly these are, these are weeks of years and they worked it all out to show that it ended at Christ's, at the time of Jesus Christ and there's one week left that wasn't fulfilled, a week of seven years. So they said, that week we've moved way over here to the end of time, and it's a seven-year tribulation period. And in three and a half years in, into that, the Antichrist, at the beginning of the seven years, the Antichrist makes signs of peace agreement with Israel. And you will never read that in here anywhere. You will never read that. And there are people who have written that in their church bylaws, that it's, that it's got to be that way, and you've got to believe it, or you can't go to their church. And then three and a half years later, he's going to break that covenant. And it's not there. It's not there. So, I say, 
Surely the Lord God will do nothing. But he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, he's already told everybody everything. Right? It's all here. When Joshua was going to go against Jericho, was there something that God forgot to tell him or didn't tell him about what he wanted at Jericho? I mean, he told him, I want you to march one day a day for six days. and Don't shout. Blow the trumpet once. The Ark of the Covenant's here. These guys are here. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. You're going to blow the trumpets. You're going to shout. And the walls are going to fall. Was there anything God left out of that? Nothing. He told, he told Joshua, there's a woman in there named Rahab. Her and her family are to be saved. She's got a scarlet cord hanging out there. And if anybody kills her, I'm going to kill them. Okay? And that happened exactly the way God wanted it to happen and the way it was said it was going to happen. And I'm telling you, God is right on everything. He's never wrong and he's never ambiguous. Even though we can't understand and see exactly how it's going to be, just believe it. And then I believe it's going to open up one day and we're going to go, this is that which was spoken by the Lord. Amen? And I believe along, along your life in little ways, these things that are in the Bible, though they have a perfect fulfillment in the last days, I believe that some of these things are fulfilled in us at times in our lives. Amen? How many of you have been up against the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh on the other trying to kill you and had nowhere else to go? Amen? And what God do? Saved you. Amen? So we have a, we have a sure word of prophecy. And I just... I'm encouraging everybody, hang on to it, tight, hang on to it tight, all right?